With that, I want to jump into our message this morning. And I'm going to begin with actually a sermon or a story from my childhood, which kind of ties into motherhood because children have moms. I was actually a third grader, and my family and I had just spent an entire day at Great America. There was time for now for just one more ride, and this was the moment, the moment of truth. As I approached the height marker to measure whether or not you could actually get on the ride, I secretly prayed, too short, too short, please God, let me be too short. But I was never too short. Um, and so I barely met the height requirements for the ride. You see, all day I had delayed going on this one ride. I kept telling my dad that we'd do it later after lunch. Let's ride this one first. But now I had to decide, would I ride the stand-up roller coaster with my father? Well, I'm sad to say that on this particular day, I left the park never having ridden the ride. The thing that got the best of me that afternoon... And also the topic for our message today, fear. Church, I have read and reread the questions and comments many of you have submitted on the feedback cards we offered for this sermon series. And perhaps the theme that has emerged above all others, concern, uncertainty, worry, anxiety, fear. Fear. Fear about illness, fear about addiction, fear about a career path, fear about failure or letting God down, fear about not living the kind of life the gospel wants us to live, fear about the direction and path of our children. More cards than any other come from parents worried and fearful about the paths their children are on. And friends, there are a lot of different issues in here that we will not address specifically this morning, some that we'll tackle tackle later on in future sermon series. But the overarching theme, I believe, lying underneath the surface of these issues is quite simply this overarching issue of fear. In fact, a woman from our church came up to me recently after service and told me that she had recently heard a speaker who, who said this, A person is truly free if they are free from the love of money and free from the fear of death. If they find freedom from those things, they can live an amazing life. Well, last week we talked and touched on the subject of money. This week we are tackling the issue of fear. And here's what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about in this message is what God thinks about fear. What does the Bible have to say to us about fear? Now, you might be interested to know that God has actually a lot to say on this subject. The most common command found in Scripture, the most frequent instruction God gives the human race, what do you think it is? Two little, that's right, two little words. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Do not live a life of fear. Now, as we talk about living fearlessly this morning, it's real important that you understand I am not talking about going out and doing something stupid or impulsive. This is not a message about going over Niagara Falls in a barrel or trying to make it through an Oregon winter without vitamin D pills or something crazy. What this message truly centers on is not letting fear rob you of the rich, full, abundant life that Jesus offers and so longs for you to have. That's what we're talking about today. And just to make sure you understand real clearly that fear 
is not always bad and that you know the difference between good fear that teaches us to respect appropriate boundaries and alerts us to real dangers and bad fear that holds us back and keeps us from becoming all that God longs for us to be. Just to make sure you understand the difference between these two types of fear, we're going to begin this morning with a little quiz and here's how it'll go. I'm going to read you some scenarios and I'm going to ask you, is that good fear or is that bad fear? And you can just answer audibly all together and cast your vote, okay? So you ready for the quiz? The fear that keeps children from playing hopscotch in the middle of Highway 26 during rush hour. Good fear or bad fear? It's good fear. The fear that keeps you from interviewing for your all-time dream job. Good fear or bad fear? Bad fear. Absolutely. The fear that keeps you from freely expressing your feelings to the law enforcement officer who just pulled you over for speeding in a school zone, even though there are people out there going much faster than you on the road, is that good fear or bad fear? That's good fear, friends. And I'm worried about those of you who think it's not. (laughs) Students, the fear that keeps you from telling your teacher what you really think of their test questions the day before final grades are posted, good fear or bad fear? That is good fear, young people. And finally, perhaps the one that's most appropriate today, the fear that causes you to spend $8.95 on postage in order to ensure that the card you got your mom for Mother's Day and are mailing late actually arrives on time and does not get there on Monday. Is that good fear or bad fear? Seems to be disagreement. Um... I hope that's good fear because that's exactly what I did on Thursday afternoon. And you know what's, what's like to pour salt in the, in the wound? This is just a little side note, not in my notes. But uh, that very night, I called my mom and we talked on the phone and she informed me, Oh, we're out of town. We're not going to be back till Tuesday. No. And that's a double whammy because I wasted the eight ninety five, and now she'll get home to find her card in one of those giant like priority mail envelopes, and she'll know I was late. Dang it. Friends, here's the point. Fear can be good. However, judging from the number of commands in Scripture, God seems to say this. Fear, as it is most commonly experienced by the human race, is not a good thing. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, we read that there are two mindsets of people, two mindsets that people can choose to live with. You can trust God, you can trust that His his goodness and His power and His grace will take care of you, and from that, you can live with a sense of confidence and peace. That's a mindset of faith. The Bible calls faith. Or, or, you can live with a mindset of fear. You can say to yourself, I'm on my own, and unless I'm real careful, unless I'm real cautious, something bad might happen to me, something I can't handle, so I better sort of tiptoe through life and and look around every corner and explore underneath every bush. That is a mindset of fear. And the question I want to ask us to wrestle with this morning is this. Which of those mindsets is yours? Do you live with a mindset of faith Or a mindset of fear. How do you live your everyday life? And I know that that some of you out there are already raising objections in your mind because there's this lie, there's this illusion that wants you to believe it's just the circumstances. 
Pastor, you're thinking, if you only knew the situation I'm facing, then you'd understand that my fear is acceptable. My fear is actually the logical choice. The reason I'm fearful is because right in front of me are some really big challenges. Friends, I have to tell you this. The Bible says that is simply not true. The Bible says there is another way. The Bible shows us time and time and time again that a life lived in fear is not the result of circumstances or challenges, but is instead a choice that we make. You see, all throughout Scripture, we read about two different sets of people facing the same situation, the same adversity. And one set will choose fear and the other set will choose faith. Let me give you some examples. Numbers chapter 14 Moses sends out 12 scouts to explore the promised land. Ten of them come back and say, the land is great, flowing with milk and honey, all God promised and more, but there's a problem. We can't take that land. There's giants in that land. I know God said it was our land, but there is no way. We might as well just turn around now. And then the other two scouts, Joshua and Caleb, they go and they look at the same land, see the same giants, but they come back and their response is different. They say, we should go to the promised land, for certainly we will be able to possess it with God's help. David was a young shepherd boy when he went to the battlefield to bring supplies to his brothers who were serving in the army and When David gets there, he finds that all the soldiers are terrified. See, it seems the Philistines, the opposing army, have this giant warrior, this enormous man named Goliath. And every day, Goliath would march down into the valley and he would issue this decree and this challenge, someone come and fight me. And all the rest of the soldiers are terrified. But what does David do? He looks at the same Goliath, the same giant, the same adversity. He says, give me a slingshot, I'll take him down. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat one day. They're on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. The disciples, if you remember, get all freaked out. They're terrified. They believe they're going to drown. And then they look over and what do they see? They see Jesus sleeping in the bow of the boat. Same storm, same danger, different response. See, friends, in all these stories and in many, many others just like them, People in the Bible face the same things, the same challenges, and some respond with fear and others respond with faith. So what's the difference? What's the difference between a response of fear and a response of faith? How do you start to choose one or the other? Well, first of all, let me suggest this. Maybe it's about the lens we have learned to see life's challenges through. Maybe the difference really has to do with our mindset, with our perspective, the perspective from which you live your life. A while back, I I read this post on the internet, and this is one of my favorite things I've ever gotten off the internet. It's the story of a college girl who writes her parents this letter, and uh, this letter really demonstrates the power of perspective. Here's what she writes. Freshman, young woman in college. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we have moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska together where someday we hope to get married after the birth of the baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. (laughs) 
I'm going to kill that kid. Uh, uh, Friends, this is a girl who understands the power of perspective. The reality that the vantage point from which we see a situation can literally change everything. Because perspective is everything. And unhealthy fear is largely the product of a God-removed sense of perspective. Again, friends, the Bible's most often offered instruction is this command to not live this way, to live with a mindset of faith, not a mindset of fear. And so the question is, why? Why is God so hung up on this? Why does God think it is so very important for his children to live fearless lives? Well, this morning I want to answer that question by talking about the high cost of living with fear. I want to talk about the high cost that you will be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do not want to live this way. And as I do, I also want to offer you a couple simple steps on how to begin to shift away from fear and towards living by faith. The first thing I want to say about fearful living is this. It will slowly erode your confidence. The American Psychological Association published a book a few years ago on self-esteem. And the question they were asking um, is this. Why do so many successful, smart, well-liked people struggle with low self-esteem? Why do the very people we expect to have high self-esteem so often have low self-esteem? And after gathering and summarizing all the data, what they found is that the results said it all boils down to one issue. One thing, when people are faced with a difficult situation, a fear-producing situation, do they face it or do they avoid it? And here's what the research shows. If people, if you will face your fears, if you take action, if you move towards fear and not away from it, even if things do not turn out well, Even if they don't turn out like you hoped or dreamed or thought or planned, deep inside, even if things go terribly wrong, you will experience a surge of delight in your soul. You will know deep down that you did a tough thing. You will know that you took on a challenge. And from that, just a little bit of strength and confidence will be built deep into your heart. However, the opposite is true. If you avoid facing your fear even if things work themselves out and turn out real great, even if they go smooth and better than expected, deep down you will know that you wimped out. You will know you took the easy path and just a little bit, just a teeny little bit, the resolve inside of you will begin to shrink. And friends, when that path is taken time and time and time again, your self-worth and confidence just get chipped away at and slowly but surely you start to forget that you are a person created in the image of the fearless, most high God. After graduating from college, my roommate, Justin, who was an economics finance major, got a job at um, a very um, well-known bank in Omaha. It was a really good job. Um, he, he was really happy with it. He was making quite a bit of money right out of school. We were, all the rest of us, very jealous of him. Um, I was a youth pastor at the time, and so his salary just seemed like exponentially higher than mine. And, and he got to wear a suit every day to, to work, which at that time seemed really impressive. Um, and Justin was doing great. 
But after about two years of working this job in corporate America, he started to get this itch, this longing to go out and do his own thing, to start his own company, to form his own business, where he could actually do ministry and serve God at work in in a very specific way that God was calling him to. The only challenge was this. By this time, Justin's wife was pregnant with their first child. And so to walk away from this job and the benefits and the insurance and the financial stability amidst the process of becoming a father was just extremely difficult. But ultimately, Justin decided God was calling him to do it. And so he took the step. He quit his job and he started uh, delivering Coca-Cola products from 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. all night. And it was a much less glamorous and certainly less restful job than the job he had at the bank. But Justin started doing this so that he could spend his afternoons building and growing and working on his business. He did this for two years. Two years every day up at two, working all night, all afternoon on his business and do it again. And finally, after two years, Justin had to face the reality, it wasn't working. It wasn't going to work. He had to quit. He had to go back to corporate America. And this time, he ended up working for an insurance company. But it's funny, you know, talking to Justin after this had happened, I'll rem- I never forget this. Um, when I talked to him about it, I was struck by the fact that instead of an attitude of defeat or disappointment, Justin just seemed to have this renewed sense of confidence in himself. He, he had this attitude that seemed to be saying, I failed, I couldn't do it, I had to quit. But, but, on the other hand, I did it. I went for it. And you know what? Even though things didn't work out, I survived and my family survived and we made it through and we're okay. And so it was no surprise to me when several years later, Justin was at it again, quitting his job again, driving the truck again, starting his own business again, except only this time it worked. And now my college roommate is one of the most successful Christian financial planners in the entire city where he lives. Justin refused, refused to live with fear. Instead, he said, I will live by faith. Friends, living with fear will eat away at your confidence and it will keep you from going for it and taking the risks that God longs for you to take. And that leads me to the next thing I want to point out to you this morning, and that's this. Living with a mindset of fear will produce stagnation in your life instead of growth. You know, one of the things we are constantly talking about in in our church and in the larger church is this really kind of fancy word, discipleship. And discipleship is so important. It's right at the core of who we are as a community. It's right in the center of of the mission God has for his church. And, And in short, I'll just simply define discipleship this way. Discipleship, and this is just my own little definition, becoming someone who looks more and more like Jesus and lives more and more for Jesus. That's discipleship, learning to follow him, looking more and more like him, living more and more for him. And friends, perhaps the greatest obstacle to being and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is one little word, fear. Here's why. Growth always involves risk, and risk always involves fear. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Bible... When God goes and he tells somebody, fear not, don't be afraid. Um, Very rarely does God say this just to spare them from anxiety or help them to live a more comfortable, stress-free life because we all know God is very concerned about that most of the time. Not really. In fact, for those of you who know a little bit about the Bible, let me ask you this. How often do we see God 
come, interrupt somebody's life, and then ask them to do kind of a menial, easy job. How often, how often does God come to somebody and say, I've got an assignment for you, it's pretty quick, there's nothing much to it, not a whole lot of demand, are you in? How often does God do this? He never does this. God never, ever does this. Never happens. Here's what happens. God asks people to do things they don't want to do, things they're terrified to do. He calls people to acts of extraordinary obedience and huge, risky steps of faith. And generally, it all comes down to this question. Will they go with their fear or will they go with faith? God called Moses to go back to Egypt where he was wanted for murder. And he asked him to confront the most powerful man in the world and tell him to let my people go. And Moses, God said, he's not going to like that because he knows if he releases the slaves, the economy of his nation will hit rock bottom and he'll lose all his wealth and all his power. But I still want you to go and I want you to tell him and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. How about it, Moses? Sound fun? Will you do it? Will you go? Fear or faith? God says to Daniel, I want you to defy the king and pray to me. And Daniel, when you do this, when you get on your knees, you're going to get in big trouble and you're going to be thrown into a den of lions. But Daniel, I promise you this, I will go with you into that den of lions and I will shut their mouths. So I'm asking you to obey me, not him, and pray. Will you do it, Daniel? Will you trust me? Fear or faith? Noah, I want you to build an ark. And you're probably going to lose all your friends. In fact, you'll become the laughing stock of the entire area. But here's the deal. I am going to send some rain on the earth. Noah, I'm going to flood this world and start again and use you and your family. How about it? Are you in? Are you up for it? Fear, Noah, or faith? And some of you are thinking right now, man, those are great examples, Pastor Dave, but they seem so far removed from my life because, you know what, if God comes to me in a burning bush or an audible voice and asks me to build an ark, I'll do it. But until then, and here's what I have to say to you, I don't think maybe even then because here's the thing that so many of us often miss. Choosing Faith over fear does not happen all at once. It's not this one-time offer, this big grand opportunity or moment that God has for our lives. And if we miss it, we're out. And if we grab it, we're in. That is not how God works. Faith is something that grows little by little. It's something we practice in. And even the smallest ways throughout our lives, we are practicing to choose faith over fear. You see, one of the probably most practical steps you can take to start to live a life of faith versus a life of fear is just by choosing a pattern of behavior that trains your mind to when times get tough, move towards faith and move away from fear. This morning I'd like to ask you to do just that. I'd like to offer you a challenge right here in the middle of this sermon. One area of your life One place in your world right now where you are facing fear these days. It can be a big fear. It can be a small fear. It can be an internal or it can be external. But either way, I want to ask that you'll do this. Name your fear. Name that thing you're worried about, stressed about, concerned about, scared of. Just name it. Put it out there. And then I'd like for you to, to decide this morning. One concrete thing you will do to move towards trusting God and facing your fear? What's one step, big or small, that you can take towards faith in the midst of that challenge that's in your life right now? Maybe this involves 
a hard conversation that you need to have. Maybe with a family member or friend or coworker. Maybe it's something you've been putting off or avoiding because it's just too difficult. Maybe God is calling you to a new job or vacation or vocation and even though it feels scary, even though it feels unstable, it's time to start exploring those things with Him. Maybe it's a calling to take a financial risk. Maybe there's a health crisis or a secret addiction and your fear isn't something you have to go and find. It's something that's found you and the decision that God longs for you to make today is let's start approaching this in a different way. Let's start approaching this together. Let's take a posture of faith in this thing, instead of a posture of fear. Maybe God's calling you to just open your life up in a way and reveal some sin or some junk and be transparent with someone instead of convincing yourself and lying to yourself that you can face it and handle it on your own. Maybe God is calling you today to just acknowledge your need for Him and to start to take this God thing more serious and not just go through the motions or come to church, but to get serious about what it means to let Him be Lord of your life, even though that seems scary and unpredictable because you do not know where He will take you. Friends, whatever it is, whatever is producing fear in you today, instead of worrying, take action. Take one step towards facing your fear, towards faith. Because here's another reason why that step is so critically important. Living with a mindset of fear will cost you your joy. I have to tell you, friends, this is a staggering cost if you watch people pay this price over years and decades of a life. One of the things researchers have found is that most worriers tend to have real high-capacity imaginations. Worriers are often very smart, creative people, but their imaginations tend to run towards the negative. And there's a little phrase that quite often will run through uh, their minds quite frequently and it just sort of floats and it hangs in there and it's this little phrase, this little question, what if? What if I get in an accident and wreck the car? What if we don't have enough money? What if I do the wrong thing at work and lose my job? What if I give a bad sermon? You see, even though all these things are only potentials, They haven't happened. They probably will never happen. They have the power in the mind of a person who has a fear perspective to rob you of joy now. They rob you of joy before they're even real. Now, on the flip side, a person with a healthy sense of perspective is able to say, you know, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst thing that can really happen to me? What if you wreck your car? Get rid of it. Get a new one. What if you lose your job? Get rid of it. Get a new one. What if the pastor does give a bad sermon? Shower him with gifts so he feels more comfortable and affirmed and accepted by the congregation. A gift card, Luis, would be preferable in that moment. Thank you. When you really get down to it, friends, a person who lives in fear will lose their joy because joy and fear are incompatible. Think about it for a minute, friends. Have you ever met a real fearful, joyful person? No. A mindset of fear will cost you your joy. And finally, the last plea I want to make this morning, it's perhaps the most compelling reason that we as a congregation must fight fear with all that we have. The reason is that a mindset of fear is contagious. 
And it will get passed down from one generation to the next. You know, there's this thing that happens a lot on Mother's Day and Father's Day. On Mother's Day, we're like so sweet and kind and embracing to all you moms. And then on Father's Day, what do we do? Like punch all the dads in the nose. Come on, dads, quit being slackers, right? Like we love on Mother's Day and we challenge on Father's Day. Well, moms, I'd like to just offer you a challenge this morning if I could. The number one influence of faith in the life of any child, you know what it is? The statistics on this are just consistent and overwhelming. Number one influence, mom. No one has more influence over the faith of a child than their mother. Dad comes in at a close second and then church and the church community starts to move into the mix as well. Friends, moms, are you influencing your children towards faith? Dads, church family, are we helping them to live lives of faith? Because faith is not just something we know and understand. It is something we live and it's something we do. And because faith is caught more than taught, our children are watching us. They're not listening to us as much as they're watching us. And they're watching to see, do we play it safe? Do we back away from risk? Do we let worry and fear dictate our perspective and decisions? Do we value security and control more than opportunity and growth? Do we really trust Jesus or do we just sing about it and talk about it? That's what our kids want to know. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're asking. And more than just dwelling on what has been or might have gone down in the past, let's look ahead at the opportunities that are still before us. Friends, we must decide to model the fearless faith we long for the next generation to have, and then we must encourage them to practice and step into living out that that, that fearlessness and that fearless faith, faith themselves. We must coach them and encourage them and teach them. There's a story out out there about a time a woman and her daughter went parasailing. And for those of you who don't know, parasailing is this moment where you get harnessed in and attached behind you is a giant parachute and you're kind of tethered to it. And then a long cord attaches you to a boat. And this, this long cord can kind of be released and let out. And so what happens is the boat cruises along and the wind catches the parachute and then you can be hoisted way up hundreds of feet into the air and you're just up there dangling, flying, kind of lingering in space. That's the fun of parasailing. And there's a story of a time when a mother and her daughter went parasailing. And in this particular boat, you could choose when you went up in the parasail, do you want to get pulled up 400 feet? Do you want to get pulled up 600 feet? Or do you want to get pulled up 800 feet? And the daughter said to her mom, as I sat in the boat and kind of thought about it, you know, mom, I was thinking about going up 800 feet, but that might be a little scary. And this mom sitting there watching her daughter facing this fear and wanting so much for her little girl to be free of the shackles of fear, she said, you know what? She just turned to her daughter and said, you know, you know what? I think you could do 800 feet. And you know what? I bet you if you do, I bet things would look pretty cool from way up there. And then this wise mom just sort of stepped back and gave her some time and gave her some space to think about it. And then finally, when it was this this daughter's turn to go up, she turned right before she told the the attendant how high she was going to go. She turned to her mom and she said, Mom, I'm going to do 800 feet because the ride, it will just last a few minutes. But once it's done, I'll have that ride with me for the rest of my life. 
Friends, I do not know about you, but when it comes to trusting God and living by faith, I want my kids, I want our kids, Cedar Mill Bible Church kids, to be 800-foot kids. And friends, I promise you this, I will do everything I can, everything in my power to help us be a community that helps our children and frees them from the shackles of fear in this world that turns them loose to love God and follow Jesus and live for His kingdom in this world with reckless abandon. But I cannot do it on my own. I need your help. We need each other. That's what child dedication is all about. We need one another. Do not let one another. Do not let me. I won't let you. Let's not let each other settle for fear instead of faith. You know, I was thinking back this week, thinking back about the disciples. I was thinking about how time and time again as they walked with Jesus, they actually blow it. They constantly are choosing fear over faith. There's a lesson that Jesus just can't seem to hammer into their thick skulls. But then all of a sudden, these same guys... After four Gospels full um, of rarely seeming to get it right, all of a sudden these same individuals in the book of Acts, they just start living with extreme faith. They start radically trusting God, actually in the face of enormous fear. And I was wondering, what was the turning point? What, What was the thing that sort of threw the shackles off? And certainly I, I believe it had to do with the training of just walking with Jesus over those years. It most definitely um, had to do with them seeing that Jesus had conquered death and risen from the grave. Those things had huge impact. But perhaps, perhaps above everything, the turning point, I believe, in the lives of these people from having a perspective of fear to one of great faith was the day of Pentecost. It was the day when God came to dwell amongst them and fill them each with the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, from that day forward, everything changed. Everything was different. Things didn't get easier. They actually got harder. But now they had the power in them to face life's biggest challenges. And friends, I have to tell you this morning, God offers us the same thing He offered them. In fact, later in the Bible, there's this young guy. He's called to face one of the most scary, terrifying, fear-producing situations a person can ever face. This young man named Timothy was asked to pastor a church. And God knows that there's nothing more scary in this world sometimes than church people. But listen, that's kind of a joke, by the way, sort of. Um, Listen to what God says to Timothy as he stands on the edge, as he enters into this enormous challenge before him, this fear-producing, scary thing. Here's what he says. He says, For God has not given us, God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus today, that same reminder is for, for you. God looks through Timothy and out throughout the angels to all the people that will follow him and he has that same message for you. He says that same spirit lives in you. And so whatever fear you are facing today, no matter how big or how small, the Lord wants to give you these same words, this same promise, and I'll close with them this morning. Cedar Mill Bible Church. God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for 
the moms and the women who have, in the midst of their imperfection, shown us what it means to follow you. God, thank you that you have this crazy ability and way of taking even things that we mess up and using them for good. So I pray grace over the memories as we look back and hope and challenge and conviction and power as we look towards the opportunities in the future. Help us to be a church, a community of people that ruthlessly pursue living lives of faith and that our children will see it, that they'll be impacted, and that they'll go far beyond us to do amazing things for your kingdom. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.